Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We're now in Masechet Psachim Daf Nun Dalid Amud Bet. About to take a look at the fifth Mishnah in this, the fourth parak, dealing with Min Hagim. Makom Shenagul Asot Ba'av. Those places where their custom is to work on Tisha B'Av, Osin, that's legitimate. Makom Shenagul Asot Enosin. Place where the custom is to avoid work. You should not work. And in all places, people who are of the scholarly class do not work. He encourages everyone to take on the mantle of a scholar for that purpose and not to work on Tisha B'Av. We'll see how that plays out as far as issues of social dissonance. I have to remember that Ta'anit Sibur is not what we think of, but rather, as Masachat Tanit uh, presents to us, is those Taniyot, which in some sense are far more severe than the fasts that we regularly practice, which are called on account of typically a lack of rain, and then in other cases of danger of plagues and wild animals, etc. So he says, the only thing that has a status of Tanit Sibur in Bavel is Tisha Ba'av. So, does that mean that he thinks that during the dusk period of Tisha B'Av, one is not allowed to eat? He says, you're allowed to because it's only during Vadai Tisha B'Av you're not allowed to eat. And on Tan Sibur, you're forbidden. Do you think Shmuel thinks that all Tanit Sibur, you're allowed to eat during Menash Vashot? We have a Mishnah in Tanit. <coughs> this is the last set of fasts, which are very severe, and are full night and day fasts. You can eat and drink during the day. Doesn't that tell you that once it's Menash Vashot and twilight, you may not eat? No, that means you can't eat and drink after dark. Meaning, as opposed to the earlier fasts that are only during the day, these start at night. Now, they, so therefore, we're now at the position of saying that all fast days, with the exception of Yom Kippur, of course, um, are days in which you may eat during dusk, and that's why Tanit Sibor and Tisha B'Av is the same. So, this seems to support the statement that the only difference in Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur is what to do during Safek. My Sfaiko Mutar, what does it mean to say that on Tisha B'Av, the Safek time of doubt is Mutar? La Ben Ashfajot does not refer to dusk, thus supporting what we've been saying. What it means is if we're not sure what day it is, whether or not you have to fast. Famous story through Bengamlion Rabeshua. That's what it means here. <coughs> so we don't have support from there. Women who are pregnant or nursing have to fast and complete the fast. Just like Yom Kippur. And you're not allowed to eat during the Rashfashot of Tisha Ba'av against Shmuel. And that's what they said, quoting Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan, when did he say that? Rabbi Yochanan, Shabbat, and Okanani Tzibur. It's not like Katani Tzibur. So my love of Ben Ashvashot doesn't that mean that unlike Tani Tzibur, when you can't eat Ben Ashvashot, you're allowed to eat Ben Ashvashot of Tisha Ma'av, not like Rava. So lo, lim lacha. That means different, the difference is from Malacha. Malacha, Tani, Akom Shnagush Lasot Malacha, Shabbat, Osim, Akom Shnagush Lasot, Enosin. Uh, and as far as Malachah goes, we have our Mishnah that sa- states that it depends on custom. Gamliel said, 
that your avoiding malacha is only okay when by sitting there nobody recognizes that you're taking on this extra mantle. We'll get to that a little later. Certainly it's not prohibited to do malacha on Tisha B'Av. So how could you say that malacha is the difference? It means the difference is there's no ni'ilah. There is ni'ilah in Tanit Sibur. Famously in the Sugya, in the third parak of, of Brachot says, a person should pray as often, as many times as he can. The answer is sure. Hatam Chova, we're talking about the obligation of Ni'ila. Hachavashud, Yochanan just says, you may daven more if you'd like to. If you buy a Tzibur, the other possible interpretation of that statement is Lasvim Va'arba'ah. That on Tanit Sibur, they would have 24 Brachot, six added Brachot between Goel and Rofei. Uh, we have a commemoration of that with our Bracha on Sarah. Anenu uh, in that spot, but they would have a full twenty-four, full, full six extra brachot that we don't have on Tisha B'av. Papa Mar Ma'ino Kunat Tanitzibur. What does it mean to sound like a Tanitzibur? Eino Karishonot. It means to sound like the first set of Tanitzibur, when only the exemplary people fast and only during the day, with minimal restrictions. Elakachronot. Rather, it is like the last Tanitzibur, where everybody's fasting and it's full twenty-four hours. Vasura. We already said this, and this is where we got it from, that he's talking about whether we're not sure what day it is. So for everything else, Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av the same, so Tisha B'Av is very severe. Rabbi Lazar is supported uh, with that by in his statement uh, that you're not allowed to even put your finger in the water on Tisha B'Av. Just like Yom Kippur, the severity of Rechitza. Watch this challenge. Meaning, that on, on a Tanit Sibur, you're not allowed to do malacha anywhere. And Tisha B'Av, in those places where the custom is to work, you're allowed to work. Halachol divrem zevez ha-shavin. So it's the same uh, for everything else, including ben ha-shvashot. V'yilu gabe tanit sibur tanyak shamru asur b'chitzah lomru elakol gufo. But what is it you're not allowed to bathe on a tanit sibur? Your whole body. To wash your hands or your face. Lo. And if Tisha B'Av is like a tanit sibur, for everything except malacha, that means Tisha B'Av, you could wash your face, your hands, you could certainly stick your finger in water. So I'm Rav Papa, Tana Kule Kule Tani. That we don't have a comprehensive statement, but rather segmented statements. And each one is teaching a different Kula. Um, and that is, uh, the issue there was to taught about malacha. Okay, the Mishnah said that Tamne Chacham do not work anywhere on Tisha B'Av, and then Shem Gamliel said everybody should endeavor to be like a Tamne Chacham for that. So the Mishnah Gamliel sounds like Shem Gamliel says we're not afraid of somebody taking on an extra mantle of piety that really doesn't fit him. And the Rabbanan are concerned with that. In Brachot, we have the opposite. Ditnan, the Mishnah, the second paragraph of Brachot says, Chatanim Chatan, who's exempt from Kriyat Shema the first night. He may read the first time. Not everybody who wishes to take the mantle of a scholar on himself may do so. In other words, if you're not really a scholar, you can't do so. So, Yochanan says, you're right. And we have a contradiction. And in one of these two places, we have the names backwards. 
Let's keep our tradition and we'll resolve both contradictions. We have no contradiction between Rabbonin who in Kriyachma say that uh, everybody can behave like a scholar and not say Shema on his wedding night. Um, and, um, and sorry, every, everybody can behave like an exemplary person and say Shema on his wedding night. And Rabbanon here who said, you can't avoid doing work on Tisha Ma'av unless you really are a scholar. Because in the in Tishbab, everybody else is working, and you're not working. That looks haughty that you're not working. When it comes to Shema, you're basically doing what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is saying Shema, you're saying Shema. So the Rabbanon's general position is do what everybody else is doing, and there's no you are. But if you stand out, then there may be a problem. There's no contradiction there, and this is a different take. In Kriyachma, we need Kavana. And here we all know they can't be Machavin because you're getting married, you're on your wedding night. That's a sugya in Brachot and, and in several other places about, um, about uh, tour of, uh, of here, if you're not working on Tisha B'Av, there's no Yora. Why? People say he doesn't have work. Look how many other unemployed people there are. They don't see you as not working as being a statement of being a Tamil Chacham. They say he's not working as an Ebach, you're unemployed, and you're not working today. You might not be working on the day after Tisha B'Av either. Okay, now the next Mishnah takes us back to our opening Mishnah, which which uh, proposed that the issue of doing Malacha in the morning of the 14th of Nisan is subject to Minig. And here we say, V'chachamim in Yehuda, the custom used to be that everybody would work until more, until midday. But Galil, they wouldn't work at all. So, in other words, he identify where there were these different customs. However, Halayla, there's even a suggestion that the night before you can't work. But Shammai say you can't work even the night on the fourteenth at night, and but Hillel say you could work until sunrise. Okay. So why does the first Mishnah present it as a minig, and here presents it as an isur? That's a different opinion about what happened. That's our Mishnah. Now, Rabbeir turned to him and said, What do they have to do with now? In other words, Romero's position is that it's something that's dependent on minhag, and local minhag, not regional. Since Romero said, Minhag, Romero must be the one who holds that there really was an out-and-out Isur in different places. Since one does Rabbi Yehuda say, you're allowed to do Malacha, such that in Yehuda they would do it. If you're weeding, on the 13th of Nisan, and something gets pulled out, you can replant it in certain places, but not in other kind of places. But the implication is, only on the 13th, but you can't be doing it on the 14th, implying that the 14th is Asur After Abihuda holds that any grafting that doesn't take within three days will never take, 
Why do you have to do the 13th? After all, this is an issue of the Omer, and we're talking about something taking root before the Omer is brought. After all, if you plant it on the 14th, you have the 14th, the 15th, the part of the 16th, till the Omer is brought, and that would be enough. He said, that Mishnah was reflecting the custom in Galil, where they practice an Isur of Malacha. But you could have plant, you could have planted it the 14th at night. It was following Beit Shammai that you're not allowed to do Malacha at night. You can't say it's following Beit Shammai. Nobody weeds at night. Forget about it. It goes back to Yudah. When it comes to taking root, that's not a question of formal days. That's a question of hours, how long it takes. And therefore, you could say part of a day is considered a day on one end, but not on both ends. And therefore, if he plants on the 14th, you could say, okay, you've got the full day of the 14th, the full day of the 15th, but you can't say you got the full day of the 16th when the Omer is brought during that day. And the Miktzat is not going to be enough. And therefore, you needed it to be the 13th, which means Rabbi Yudah could still be of the opinion, and is of the opinion, that it is mutar lasot melacha. You're allowed to do work on the 14th, but he had to create this scenario as doing it on the 13th just to work within the calendar of the Omer. All right. Remei Omer, next Mishnah. Any Malacha you started before the 14th. Continuing now on the issue of the Isra of Malacha on the 14th. Gomra Biarbaasar. You could finish it on the 14th. You should not start a job on the 14th. Even if you could finish it, like sewing a hem on something. There's three kind of workers who are allowed to work in the morning. Of the fourteen, Feilim and Chayatim, tailors, Vasaparim, barbers, Vakovsin, launderers, Riosuiromer, Afratzanim, also parchment workers. Okay, Ibayelu, Letzorachamoetnan. Is this entire Mishnah talking about doing things for the purpose of Yom Tov? Avash Letzorachamoeta, Feilim Gemar Nami Lo. But if it's not for the need of Yom Tov, you can't even finish it on the fourteenth. If we started before. Maybe our Mishnah is referring to things that are not for the purpose of Yom Tov. But if you have a need for the Yom Tov, you could even start something on the 14th. Maybe it's all the same. Whether it's needed for Yom Tov or not, you're not allowed to start on the 14th, but you could finish it in either case. Let's see. Three possibilities here. So Toshma. Right that says, you can't start even making a little belt. Afilu svachaktana, or a little headdress. My afilu, what's the afilu? Laal afilu, hanadetzorachamoed, doesn't mean even things that are needed for the moed. Migmar inat chulelo, you can only finish them, but you can't start them. Michlal deshalolatzorach, implying that if it's something that's not needed for Yom Tov, because these two things are examples of fancy clothes you'd use for Yom Tov. Migmar nolamaminogominen, sounds like you can't even finish them if they were started before the 14th, if they're not needed for the moed. Lo, we reject that. Leolam deshalotzorach. This is talking about things that are done not for the moed. Migmar namigamrinan. You could certainly finish them, even if they're not the moed. Umay afilu meaning afilu hani nami the zutrininu. Afilu here doesn't mean even things needed for the moed. It meant even things that are very small. The salakatay tochameni. You might think atchalatan zoi gemar malachtan. When you start it, you're already done. So therefore, maybe you could start on the fourteenth. So maybe you could start. That you can't. You only have to only can finish it if it was started earlier. 
Toshmar, Meo, Meo, Komalacha, Shehilatzorach, Moed, any Malacha, which is needed for the Yom Tov, Gomra, Biar Baasar. We can finish it on the 14th. Eimatab, Yisman, Shehitchil, Bakorah, Baasar. So this is now and you had to have started before. If you didn't start before, you can't start on the 14th. Even a little belt. A little hair, headdress. Now, only things that are needed for the Yom Tov. The answer is no. And the answer is that Rameir would say even if it wasn't needed for the Yom Tov, you could still finish it if it was started earlier. And it's teaching us that even if it's the Tzor HaMoid, you can only finish it, you can't start it. So very clearly he says, if it's not the Tzor HaMoid, you can't finish it on the 14th. We're all allowed to work on the 14th in the morning if it's a place where that's the custom. Only if that's the custom. There you see clearly that Ramir says you can, may only finish a malacha if it's the Tzorah HaMoed. Okay, Chacham Mormon Shalosh Umniot, which means, by the way, if it was the Tzorah HaMoed, even if you start on the 13th and you only have a little bit to do on the 14th, you may not do it. He then adds, but in the place where the custom is to do malacha, of course you could do it. Why are we allowed, our tailors allowed to work? After all, a non-professional can sew even on cholamoid. What about the barbers and the launderers? The Mishnah and Moed Katan says that those people, um, who come from a far journey or get out of prison or become uh, uh, Tahor from the Tzarat or in any other case where they were onus before Yom Tov and could not wander or sh- or take a haircut are allowed to do on a Cholamoid. And so therefore we allow these people to work on the, the barbers and the launderers on, on the Erev Pesach. Rabbi Yosef Yudomer, Afarat Sanim, he added in the parchment workers, Shekin Olev Galim Etaknin Minaleim Cholamoid. These are cobblers or shoemakers because people are making aliyah regal at the last minute need their shoes fixed, and they can and they're allowed to get it fixed on cholamoid. If it's a lot of cholamoid, we can let them work on air pesach. So would Rabbi Yosef Yehuda and Chacham disagree? Question is whether we can apply the permission. Um, of uh, of Ratzanim to make new shoes from the fact that we're allowed to fix shoes that were already there that are now non-functional or need repair, uh, or whether we cannot apply one to the other. Okay, last piece we'll do for this uh, podcast. Moshevin shovachin l'tarnigolim barvasa. You're allowed to set up nests or roosts for hens on the fourteenth. If a chicken ran away, you could push it back to its place. If it died, you could put another one on top of it to keep the eggs hatching. This recalls what we did towards the end of Shabbat. You're allowed to sweep up uh, the dirt and feces from underneath the animals on the 14th. You just push it to the side. You're allowed to take clothes back and forth from the they launder from the dry clean. Now, bishem einam letzorach hamoed, even not letzorach hamoed. Okay, let's go to the first thing. Hashda utuvi mutvinan. If we're allowed to set the roosters on top, the hands on top. Adurin, buy it. You need to tell me that we can put them back, that we can return them if they left. 
He says the Seifa is teaching you about Cholamoid, and that is that there you may return them and not set them up. So Ravuna says this is only true if it's within three days of when it walked off of the eggs. Because the eggs still have the heat from the chicken and therefore we can put it back from the hen. It also has to be at least three days after it sat down. You'll lose the eggs and a great financial loss. But if it's gone, been gone for three days, the heat is already gone. And it's within three days of when it sat. Where you will not lose the eggs totally. And then we don't allow you to return them. That's too much work for no, no necessary gain. You could even put it back within three of when it sat. The is whether or not they allow you to even uh, have minor financial gain uh, or loss taken into consideration. And Rabbi Ami says even an Hefzid Muat counts and you could return them. So the Mishnah said that you could sweep up from underneath the animals. You have manure in the in the chazer. You can push to the side. If it's in the barn or in the courtyard, you could take it out to the dung pile. So The opening line was zevul Push to the side. In the second closet, mention Chatzar again and said you could take it out to the dung pile. On the 14th, you could take it all the way out. On the Cholamoshamoid, you sweep it to the side. He said both are Cholamoshamoid. It didn't mean Refet and Chatzar, it meant a Chatzar that's become a Refet, meaning instead of a place where the animals mill around, it's where they actually live. Then you could sweep it further away, and not just get away from them. You could take it all the way out to the dung pile. All right, You're allowed to take clothes back and forth to the uh, the dry cleaner or to the fellow who's working with them. Papa body cloth. Rava. Rava tested us. Rava was Papa's Rebbe, of course. We have this Mishnah or Mino, and then he challenged us with the following. You're not allowed to get clothes from the Uman. And if you're afraid they'll be stolen from there, you can put them in another chatzer, but you can't bring them home. And Umashanin, and how do we answer Rava? Lokasha, Khan Barbasa, Khan Mikhuloshamoid. Abbas, are you allowed to bring them? Khuloshamoid, do not. Vaite Mahabahabuchuloshamoid, we give another answer. Both could be Kholamoid. Vilokasha, Khan Mamino, Khan Mishaino Mamino. If you trust him, you can't go pick anything up. If you can't, then you may. And if you don't, then you may. So, so fragile things you're allowed to go and get. But not wool from the dyer's hat, house. Or clothes from the dry cleaner. If the dry cleaner needs his money, needs some food, you can go pay him and leave it there and then go pick it up afterwards. If you don't trust him, then take it and put it in some house near you, but not home, all, all the way home. If you're, you're afraid it might be stolen, bring it in quietly to your house, but you can't use them. Now, all of that just resolve the problem of whether you're allowed to bring it back from the Uman. Um, 
But how about uh, taking it there? We saw you're not allowed to take it. We have to go back to our original answer, which is the 14th verses, Chol Okay, we'll pick it up with the last Mishnah in the Parak in the next podcast. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.